What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm. I'm joined by Chris Gretham, Nicole Yang. We're going to talk Celtics Wizards, the play-in game. It was honestly an absolute blast. What a, I mean, for everybody except for poor Gretham, who had to watch the Wizards try to I want the things. Sixers anyway. I want the Sixers. <laughs> poor Gretham had to watch the Wizards try to defend Jason Tatum with, I don't know, one-legged Bradley Beal and Davis Bertans. I mean, Biggs who got switched on to him. I mean, the the Celtics just demolished the 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 Wizards with Tatum with switches, all that kind of stuff. It was really fun. Tatum ended up with fifty. Celtics pulled away, won by double digits. Like I'm trying to remember who on this podcast predicted that the Celtics would <laughs> win by double digits. <laughs> Oh, it was me. All right. Anyway, what did you guys think of the game? I thought everything that went wrong for the Wizards did go wrong. Uh, And I'm not just saying that as a Wizards fan. That's actually very much the case. Jason Tatum is, for the most part, unguardable. The Wizards were in an interesting situation where Rui Hachimura is really the only one on that roster who has the length to defend a big wing like Jason Tatum. And he got into foul trouble so quickly. He picked up those two early fouls. I think at one point he had five fouls in like 11 minutes. Who are you going to turn to on that Wizards roster, especially when the Wizards are not willing to double him? Yeah, they tried to trap him occasionally, but they just had nothing for him. And the little personnel that they did have for him was in brutal foul trouble right from the jump. So Jason Tatum took complete advantage of that. Like if you're Tatum, you still have to capitalize on that. And he did. Like he hammered mismatches throughout the second half. Like the Wizards had no chance of stopping him. We'll get into what else went wrong for the Wizards. I mean, playing Davis Bertans 32 minutes is an issue in itself, especially when he can't hit anything. But Jason Tatum was just like, he was incredible. I see why you like Daniel Gafford though. When he's not, when he's not in foul trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel Gafford's good. He looks like he has a lot of potential. He's the lob threat that John Wall always wanted. (laughs) But no, I mean, and I think Tom sort of like hinted at this type of performance from Jason Tatum. I don't know if Tom was expecting 50. He probably will claim that he was, but this is like what he can well, do. This is a hot shot. <laughs> this is what, like, this is what Jason Tatum can do, though, now as like the singular star, like the obvious first option. Like, there's no 1A really. It's just Jason Tatum. So the Nets also don't play a lot of defense. So I'm assuming Jason Tatum's playoff numbers are going to be insane, even though this 50 point performance just sort of like lurks in this nebulous like not historical record of any sort but I think the Celtics should be optimistic about what's to come because he really can take advantage of poor defenses do either of you guys watch the good place I've had to watch it because they made like a Tom Brady reference once so I had to write about that <laughs> gotcha. 
Well, in the good place, there's this place, the IHOP, that just kind of exists like between everything. It's just a, it's just a nothing place, and I feel like that's where Jason Tatum scored 50 points. It's just this void where, uh, where, where nothing exists between the regular season and the playoffs. Like I, I thought Hatchimura getting in foul trouble, it was like you know obviously that that hurt the Wizards quite a bit. I don't understand a lot of the things that Scott Brooks did, and Grenham, you hint, you've hinted at this for weeks now. Like I don't understand why he starts Alex Len. When Daniel Gafford is clearly like, I mean, every time Daniel Gafford came in, it was, everything was just a little bit harder for the Celtics. I don't understand why they didn't double team Jason Tatum or why they didn't just bring Hachimura back and just be like, look, if you foul out, you foul out, but we're losing if Jason Tatum keeps doing this. It was pretty clear that if Tatum just kept killing them, they were going to lose. I mean, the first three or four minutes of the third quarter, the Celtics went up by like 13 or 14. And at that point, it was like, look, you have to change something now or this game is going to get out of hand. And Jason Tatum is going to like just send you guys straight to the Pacers. And that's what happened because Scott Brooks didn't really change anything. And Tatum had 50 because he's a genuine superstar. But like there were probably ways to make sure that Jason Tatum had 35 instead. You know, it was just I don't know. It it was it was certainly weird coaching on Brooks's part, which I mean, is probably the reason why every single Wizards fan on Twitter was just like last night, just like, I can't wait until Scott Brooks is gone in however many games. Yeah, it was so clear out of halftime who was the superior coaching staff. Scott Brooks, yeah, he fails to make adjustments at seemingly every turn. He's been able to kind of rely on Russell Westbrook quite a bit to cope that in the last month or so. And Russell Westbrook was had a rough night last night. But yeah, like he basically treated this rotation in a, in a sense like it was a regular season rotation. Like this is a playoff game. Even if it does exist in this IHOP land, it is a playoff game. So you don't have to play Chandler Hutchinson 10 minutes. I know Rui Hachimura is in foul trouble, but like go to Garrison Matthews. He's provided the Wizards with so much more than Chandler Hutchinson has over the last couple months, yet he goes with Hutchinson for a bad 10-minute you know, set of minutes just run Hachimura out there because you don't have any other options. You are in a, it's not a single elimination, but this is as close to a single elimination as you're going to get. So just roll the dice and run Hachimura out there. And Scott Brooks isn't a coach who in the past has been tentative to run a guy in foul trouble out there. He plays guys in foul trouble all the time. And it's a little different with Daniel Gafford because he has a tr- he has trouble kind of like Robert Williams a little earlier in his career. Like he has trouble not fouling. You saw that last night. Like he he couldn't stay out of foul trouble. And that hurt the Wizards quite a bit because you had to play Alex Lynn. But even with these personnel problems and foul trouble, Scott Brooks just got out coached. Like they didn't make any adjustments in the second half whatsoever. He stuck with Ish Smith a little too long in the second half when the Celtics went with Romeo Langford on Ish Smith again. And shout out to John Corrales at halftime when him and I were talking about the upcoming second half at the time, he said the Celtics should put someone just bigger on Ish Smith. Don't let him bully Peyton Pritchard. Just throw some size on him and make things difficult. And they threw Romeo Langford on him and it was the right choice. And this Wizards failed to adjust. So as the Celtics adapted out of halftime, the Wizards did none of that. And so, yes, Jason Tatum was nearly unstoppable, but a lot of credit also goes to Brad Stevens, who made a lot of nice small tweaks that did go a long way in that second half. Definitely. But before we move off Tatum, 
because I feel like we've only kind of mentioned how like, well, he was really good. We should we should talk about him for a second. Not only was he just like like being a superstar, he was playing really smart basketball. He he ran so many pick and rolls. He wasn't just mismatch hunting. And like, because sometimes, you know, like it's easy to get stuck in that. He wasn't just doing that. I actually, in my notes, I wrote early on, it's going to be really tempting for the Celtics to just go mismatch hunting because it's so easy to create them. But that's not always like great basketball. Tatum was like, he was running the pick and rolls, but even when he got the mismatch, he was making quick decisions. He was going straight to the heart of the defense. He was going right at the rim. 17 free throws. He made all of them last night. He was to the Wizards what Joel Embiid has been to the Celtics, where it's just like, you have no answer for him. You have to double him. But if you double him he's gonna pass out of it he's gonna go to the rim constantly you're gonna foul him constantly like he was I mean he put up like an Embiid stat line I was really impressed I think all of us on this podcast like none of us think the Celtics are gonna win a championship this year obviously like but like I do think that it is worth just kind of like Jason Tatum scored 50 points in a like must win almost must win play-in game just put the Celtics on his back and just went to town just was a superstar I mean, this was this was like a real super superstar moment for Jason Tatum, which was which was a lot of fun to witness. I think we've seen Tatum go through this mode before. I'm pretty sure he would have had 40 plus against anyone last night. He gets into this wild mode where he's just killing and it seems impossible to stop him. And I thought him and Kemba Walker worked really nicely together in the second half. They played off of each other extremely well, which gives me some hope going into this first round series that. They can be really annoying against Brooklyn. And Nicole hit on it before. Brooklyn's defense is not very good. It's in the bottom 10 of the NBA. It has been for the majority of the year. If they can play off of each other like that, they're going to be an annoying out. And yeah, I don't think they're going to beat Brooklyn in a seven-game series, but I think they could steal a couple games, especially if those two guys are playing off of one another like they did specifically in the second half last night. They were really, really good together. Well, and to your point about Tatum getting on these like little stretches where he's just killing, like, like this, this looks like last year, right? That stretch in like January, February that, I mean, this was, this was how he was getting all his points during that stretch was he was just like, like really attacking pick and rolls hard and really like, you know, getting into the, into the paint. I mean, at that point too, he was also hitting like 50% of his threes, which uh, was a, was a heater, like, uh, like you read about, but you know, I mean, he's like, he's, when he's like this, he's brutally, brutally tough to stop. And to your point about the Nets defense, I mean, it's also not like the Nets have a defense that can just like turn up. They're not stoppers. They also have Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. So like, you're also not going to have stoppers on your team against those guys. But like, I, I I think there's a very legitimate reason to believe that the Celtics can get a lot of buckets. And, and I think Kemba Walker is a big part of that. He was excellent yesterday. I, I thought up until like the nine minute mark or maybe the 10 minute mark of the third quarter, he was just as good as Tatum. Um, and then Tatum completely took over. But that's that's what the Celtics need from Kemba. Like 20, you know, 20, 25 points, be relatively efficient you know, be like a positive force, take some charges, dish to Tatum when you need to dish to Tatum. That's, that's the formula for Kemba Walker to be a successful Celtic. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, the two of them drawing attention and then looking for one another is a very simple formula, but it's one that can work against a lot of defenses like the wizards, like the nets who are probably going to be able to open the floor relatively easily. We've talked about it, but I, the more he plays here over the last few weeks, the more you look at that plan with his knee earlier in the season and say, yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense because he seems to be well-rested and, and moving really well and just very confident out there. Kemba looks great. Like Nicole was as low as anyone. And, and I think very deservedly so 
over how like Kemba looked. Like it was really concerning yeah. to see a five foot 11, uh, you know, 30, whatever you're, I think he's 31, 31 year old. I'm 31. My knees suck. Like my knees are never coming back. So I need the Celtics medical staff to come in and fix me for pickup ball because uh, they did a great job with Kemba Walker. On that injury front, a couple of kind of worrisome things. Um, Marcus Smart looked like he rolled his ankle in the, I think it was in the first half. Um, he did come back out and play pretty well. I wonder how he's going to be feeling today. Um, and then more importantly, or at least, you know, more concerningly, Rob Williams hyperextended his toe. Now, Brad didn't say whether it was the, the toe that he's been, that he's had turf toe on. If it is, I mean, he, he's got to be hurting, but he looked like he was in a lot of pain going to the locker room. I don't know, like if, if Rob isn't available, I do think that really, I know we've been talking about how Kemba and, and, and Tatum could make the Celtics competitive against the Nets. Having Rob would really, really help. I mean, Tristan Thompson just does nothing for your team offensively. I think that would be a pretty major loss if, if Rob is either out or limited. Yeah, I mean, that was a pretty scary stretch in the first half when Marcus Smart went down, had to get helped off the court, was like sort of hobbling. Like it did not seem like he was going to come back just watching that specific incident. And then a couple plays later, however many minutes later, you see Rob like slap the floor in frustration, also needs help off the court. I mean, both of them ended up checking back in. So that's positive, I guess. But with Marcus, I mean, Brad even said it after the game. I bet Marcus will be at practice on Thursday. He's probably going to be available. I don't really question anything there unless he like requires surgery, which it doesn't seem like that's the case. You never know. But with Rob, I just, that's like such a tricky situation, in my opinion, for both Rob and the Celtics, because like Tom just said, the Celtics need Rob. Also, Rob is up for an extension and like would probably like to secure a lot of money or as much money as he can. I don't really know like what the best move is for both like Rob and his agent and his camp and the Celtics because yeah, you want him to tough it out or whatever, be available because it, he does have a real impact. But at the same time, like, are you risking your health or like future injury? I don't know, like if he comes back in the net series and then suffers an injury that like sidelines him for the rest of the series, does that affect his contract? Like, I don't really know what to do with Rob. Like my inclination is just shut him down, but I'm also like not competing for a, I mean, championship. I'm not competing though in the playoffs. So my inclination would be shut him down also. But again, it's easy for three of us to sit here, not in the locker room, not competing against the Brooklyn Nets, like you said, and say, yeah, just like push push it toward next season. Like, let's not risk anything. But I think that's a valuable approach to a point because again, the ceiling is quite capped on this team and their playoff potential. We've said it numerous times. You don't want to risk anything for next year. There's a pretty bright outlook, I think, heading into next season, assuming everything's back to normal, pushing Robert Williams to maybe his, I don't, I don't know, like pushing the envelope with him against the Nets when the cap very well could be taking them to six games. Like, I, I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. Again, very easy for me to say. And who knows? Maybe he gets a couple days rest here and he gets treatment on the hyperextension and he's feeling fine entering Saturday and, and they can maybe limit his minutes a little bit or something like that. But I do think if they don't have him, that ceiling that is already quite limited is lowered significantly more. It's really, really tricky. This is a very difficult situation for both the team and and rob because rob's gonna want to compete and as nicole said rob's on a contract year like he's got that upcoming extension so it's a really tricky situation 
the bottom line is, which I think the three of us have all been very much on the same page. Don't risk anything for this first round series that could linger into next season. That is without question in my mind, not worth it in, in any sense. And I guess it should be noted that Rob suffered the hyperextension by like sort of like a freak thing. Like he yeah. just like stepped on Tatum's foot as well and then ended up falling to the ground. So it's not like he was favoring his turf toe or it's not like he aggravated his turf toe or like worsened that, which is good. Like it sort of was like an isolated incident. But at the same time, like if he's playing tentatively, is it worth it now if he does have a hyperextended toe and turf toe or if it's in the same toe? That's sort of messy. I just, I don't know. I just don't think it's worth forcing it given his health history. And it'll be interesting to see what type of decision they make. My guess is he's going to be available, but we'll see. Yeah, and I think to your point about, I mean, especially about health, that's part of what makes the extension so tricky for them this offseason. He kind of should sign an extension this offseason in case, I mean, because like you don't know what's going to happen next year. If it was just like, oh, he sprained his ankle, you know, but he's going to come back like next year stronger. I would kind of be tempted if I was robbed to be like, I'm not going to sign, you know, my extension, but like, let's talk in the off season, you know, next summer. But I don't think he, I don't think you want to mess around with that at this point. Like, I think you want to lock in some long-term money because like we, we've talked about like the four years, 48 number, Th- that's not like insane money. And he certainly would get more if he was healthy, but like that is life-changing money, you know, four years, 48 million is a ton of money. And like, yeah, I mean, maybe you want to lock that in. Rob could sign an extension this offseason, and he probably would want to do that because then he locks up however much money over a long period of time. Like it's some security for him given his health history. Or he could like bet on himself, but that's a really risky bet for him. It's one thing if you're betting on yourself like talent-wise. It's another thing if you're betting on yourself health-wise. Health-wise, you just don't know. And, and especially with him, that's scary. Availability is the best ability. I don't agree, but fair. All right. <laughs> it doesn't matter if he's not available. So right. that's the thing. And if next season he only plays like 50 games, 60 games, even like you got to wonder whether four years, 48 is even on the deal. Like they probably would do like a two years type of thing. Like, cause you just don't want to lock in four years of somebody that can't stay healthy, especially at a high price tag. So yeah. I don't know what his agent thinks it would be the best case for him right now. I'm sure the Celtics want him to play, but we'll see. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. We'll just close with some like brief Nets thoughts, but anybody else have anything else, uh, you know, about, about this game in particular? Well, I mean, Bradley Beal clearly was not 100%, clearly was favoring his leg, dragging his leg around again. So I think that precludes Grenham and I from necessarily being like wrong about our predictions because there was an asterisk that this is if Bradley Beal is closer to 100% and he clearly was not. I agree. Um, I agree. No one told me Alex Len was going to play 12 minutes. I agree. (laughs) 
I am begging you to go back and listen to the episode that we just did and why I thought the Celtics were going to win by double digits. Because it was, I think Bradley Beal is hurt. Like, that was the whole reason why I thought it was going to be a double-digit win. Like, that was that was it. I said, like, a hundred times, like, if the Wizards were healthy, the Celtics would have, like, would be should be a little worried. But no, like, I, I mean, you know, we watched the Hornets game. Like, Bradley Beal was literally, like, dragging that leg all over the floor. Yeah, I mean, he just, he looked so unhealthy in that Hornets game. I just didn't see any way that he was going to be healthy against the Celtics. Also... I do want to give Bradley Beal a shout out. Like when Hachimura got injured or got in foul trouble, I mean, injured Bradley Beal with just like, he didn't do well, but he like, he tried to guard Jay, like Jason Tatum, which I'm sure partly was like, you know, you know, the, the St. Louis star, like taking on the St. Louis star and just kind of wanting to like, just kind of guard his little brother, basically. Shout out to Beal. Like he was clearly in a lot of pain. He was clearly kind of working through it. And he still was like, all right, I got Tatum. And, you know, Tatum cooked him, but Tatum cooked everybody else too. So I applaud Beal's competitiveness for trying to do that. Also, another note on our previous takes on this game, Nicole labeled Davis Bertans entering this game a one-trick pony. Boy, did he look like a one-trick pony out there. He is so useless when he's not... He's close to a zero-trick I was going to say, I don't think he has any tricks. <laughs> he, he, okay, he sometimes has one trick. When he doesn't have... <laughs> That one trick, like Tuesday night, he's so useless. They can't run anything through him at all when he, it is nauseating how useless he is. Out, He's one of the more one-dimensional players I've watched. And yes, my frustration is amplified because I root for the team that was forced to play him 32 minutes. But that was so big. Rui Hachimura gets into foul trouble and they're forced to play him 32 minutes on a night where he's going 0 for 7 from 3. I mean, Jesus, it's, it was so bad. And he had some good looks too. They missed. Yeah, he, he did. He missed a lot of open looks. The wizards across the board missed a decent amount of open looks. I mean, they aren't the greatest three point shooting team to begin with, but they missed a lot of good looks. Russell Westbrook missed a lot of looks at the rim, Like they just had a rough night across the board. It was, it was a really bad, really just, just a terrible night for the wizards. Russ was terrible, and he's really been bad. so good lately. It was bizarre. All yeah. right, Gretam, I have um, on my phone right here, I have one minute and 30 seconds. You have one minute and 30 seconds to say everything you want to say about Scott Brooks, about this Wizards team. Everybody, uh, if you uh, if, if you don't want to hear Grenham, just go off about the Wizards for the next minute 30. Punch that plus 15 button a couple of times. Grenham, you are on the clock. Okay, this is going to be very therapeutic. The Wizards are going to take down the Philadelphia 76ers in the first round. No, I, I do not believe that. I think it will be a much more fun series because I think they'll beat the Pacers. That being said, the Wizards will not beat the Indiana Pacers if Chandler Hutchinson is playing 10 minutes, if he's refusing to condense his rotation down. It, Scott Brooks's rotations have never made sense. They've never made sense. They didn't make sense when he was in OKC. They haven't made sense during his tenure in Washington. Yet even in situations like this, he refuses to condense them down. That issue last night was so amplified because of Daniel Gafford's foul trouble, because of Rui Hachimura's foul trouble, and because of arguably Russell Westbrook's worst, worst game in the last month or so. So it was so many elements coming into one to make just a nightmare scenario for the Wizards with a coaching staff that doesn't make adjustments. So on a night where you need so many adjustments, they made none of them, and they were forced to play Alex Len, 12 minutes, 12 minutes more than he should be playing at all. I still don't understand why he starts. Robin Lopez has been very good 
over the last month. You know, he, I don't know if he has blackmail on Scott Brooks or something. I'm really not sure what's happening here. It doesn't make any sense. So him playing 12 minutes hurts. Davis Berton should never play 33 minutes, but shout out to Andrew Sharp who said it's okay because he's making millions and millions of dollars next year and the year after that and the year after that. So the Wizards will be in terrific shape. I, I don't know. Ish Smith was terrific. I don't even want to like Garrison Matthews should have played more minutes last night. How sad is that statement? <laughs> I want more Garrison Matthews minutes. If the Wizards don't go out and get someone this offseason who can defend a bigger wing, I'm going to be in a really dark place. <laughs> I'm going to be in a really bad place. That's all I have. I, I don't want to get into more of it. it. It was a really, it was a multitude of factors that came into it just a nightmare night for the Wizards. This, this is something that I think Celtics fans who hate Brad Stevens should take note of. Because here's the thing. Everything that Gretham just said are concrete reasons why Scott Brooks has done a bad job coaching this Wizards team. If you ask anybody who says, like, what is Brad Stevens, like, doing? They don't have any concrete reasons. There are, like, things that you can kind of vaguely point at and be like, his rotations are a little weird, but it's like, they're not, like, like it's just much more, um, I, I don't know, it, it's much less concrete than than all of that. And it's much less, I mean, you know, like, like uh, I don't know. I guess you could point to, like, his, like, re- like reliance on, you know, maybe Tristan Thompson or Shemi Ojale or whatever it is. But, like, I don't know. I just think that the reasons for, for yelling about Scott Brooks are so much more concrete than the reasons for yelling about Brad Stevens. That being said, though, like Scott Brooks is like bottom of the barrel. So I don't really think we need to be like, see, he's better than Scott Brooks. I do agree. I'm just saying that like the the, the discourse around Brad Stevens has been he's a terrible coach. He's awful. And then you say like, okay, why? 90% of the time there isn't like an answer or there isn't an answer that actually has to do with Brad Stevens. Whereas all of the things Grenham just said are reasons why Scott Brooks is going to get canned this summer and probably should be. They're fireable issues, right? Like Brad Stevens' issues are not fireable issues. Saying that he relies on Shemi Ojale a little too much, okay, that might be fair. Saying people who want him to yell more in the huddle, which is a very odd thing. Like, here is a coach that needs to get fired. Put him next to Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens is not a coach that should get fired, even if he hasn't had the greatest season. Like, there is a multitude of collective failures from the Celtics team. None of them result in fireable issuances toward Brad Stevens. Like, Scott Brooks is terrible. Brad Stevens is not. I don't think Brad Stevens should be fired. I do think there are concrete reasons to criticize his coaching, but they're more annoyances and less like big overarching issues. His offense is basically read and react. You could also just blame that on the fact that there was no time to like install like an actual offensive system and Kemba was also out for like the first however many months. He does rely on Shemi Ojale and Tristan Thompson, and that is a concrete annoyance. Like that's, again, he has no alternatives. So then you can bring in like Danny Ainge and like all of that. So, but those are still concrete issues. Like, like it's not the result of his own doing, but he, like, he still does it. So his like refusal to play the young guys up until this season, based on what we've seen from the young guys, maybe that's justified, but <laughs> I think there are like concrete annoyances. They just don't like amount to obviously a fireable offense and they're not nearly on the same magnitude as a coach like Scott Brooks. So I don't think all of the criticisms about surrounding Brad are like, oh, he doesn't yell enough or he's lost the locker room or they don't, they're tuning out his voice. Like, I don't think all of them are that, but I just think the concrete criticisms are just a lower level 
if that makes sense. And if we if we need to get into the details, we can bring Sam Sheehan on the podcast and I'm sure he will happily <laughs> tell us. I think we should. Honestly, I think we should. <laughs> no, I mean, I think like and, like those things are fair. I mean, like you said, like I don't know what he's supposed to do about Tristan Thompson. Like yeah. Tristan Thompson is on the bench now behind Robert Williams. It's just that like Rob Williams keeps getting hurt. And like that I would say probably was more of the double big in like the beginning of the season when he like had Daniel Tice, a very competent starting center, yet he still chose to inject Tristan Thompson into the situation. I mean, the guy they just signed to the full mid-level. Like, I think that, yeah. I honestly, I think Tristan Thompson is a Danny Ainge problem, to be quite honest. But, and, you know, I, I think that the offensive stuff is really interesting because it's a, it's it's 100% fair. Like, his offense is just, like, read and react, and he does really rely. I mean, I, you know, when I said before, I, I wondered if the Celtics were going to get stuck hunting mismatches. Brad does really like to hunt mismatches. I mean, you see him all the time, like, do it again, like, after a guy, you know, and, like, sometimes it works. I think that one thing that happened this year is that the Celtics offense is so much better when their defense is good. And this year's defense isn't good. And Brad Stevens historically has been a great defensive coach when his defense isn't good. I I do wonder if there is some of just of like, uh, wait a minute, like, uh, now what? Like the, the other team scored again. So their defense is set again. I don't, this isn't, this isn't supposed to happen. I mean, I think that's, you know, a reason when you talk about like legitimate criticisms, maybe it is time to find like somebody who could be not a full offensive coordinator, but somebody who can like, you know, assist with some of that offensive stuff behind Brad. Maybe that would help. But I do think that like a big part of the reason that um, the offense has struggled this year, I think is partly because the defense is just not nearly up to the level that it always has been in Brad's tenure. Definitely. Wasn't there a game where they had like literally zero transition points? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, that was an issue with last year's team. They would go through stretches where the defense would be rough and the offense would just kind of fall apart. So I totally agree. There's something to be said about the defense dictating the offense almost to a fault, like a little bit too much, especially this year. This defense has been really bad. In my, I'm looking at my notes from last night's game. In the second quarter, I did write, Brad loves to play guys who probably shouldn't be playing, but he is secure in knowing what they're going to give him. Shemmy is what I wrote. So like, again, he doesn't have many other options, but yeah, that is that is the thing. Maybe it's a good thing that Jeff Teague was traded because you would have seen a lot of Jeff Teague in some of these games. Would you guys believe that the Celtics, I know we talk all the time about how their defense is terrible. They're actually like 12th and 13th. Like if you look at most stats, like, it's really weird that like I, I watch them and I'm like, oh, like their defense doesn't stop anybody. Like, like, you know, Bradley Beal scores 160 points against this team. Like, you know, like any any opposing good guard is gonna put up like 60 tonight. And yet they have, you know, cleaning the glass, they have a, they, they gave up 112.6 points per 100 possessions, which is 12th. Um, their defensive rating for the NBA stats is is 111.8. That's 13th. The Nets are, are so much worse than them defensively. Like Brooklyn um is 22nd in the NBA in defensive rating. it's just it's just weird like their their defense is like it looks so bad to me and it's actually just kind of middle of the pack I think we are underestimating the number of teams in the NBA that have bad defenses like (laughs) in 12th by Brad Stevens standards isn't like very good either it is that being said yeah I 12 does seem high based on some of the performances we've seen I think also we we've seen so many of these like disengaged performances where sometimes it has looked like they could they do not care at all on the defensive end. And so for me, at least, I think a lot of those performances have just stuck in my brain where like this defense is disengaged a lot of the time and they really stink. Also, when looking at these defensive First off, Tom, to answer your question, no, I would not believe you. That's very weird (laughs) that they're 13th, according to the NBA. Also, the Chicago Bulls are 12th 
in the NBA in defensive rating, that is another thing that I would not believe and just really shows that I might not have as much league-wide knowledge as I thought I was. <laughs> All that said, like, you know, if you look across, I mean, like the Lakers have, you know, the, the number one defensive rating in the league, which is like at 106.8. If you go back through the years with the Celtics, like Nicole, to your point, they were fourth for cleaning the glass in points for 100 possessions with 106.7 last year. So if you just look at that, like it is a six point difference between last year's team and this year's team. Like that probably helps to explain some of it. Like the yeah. six is a lot of like points per 100 possessions. And if you go back even further, like they had the best defense in the league in 2017-18. At, they were giving up 103.4 points per 100 possessions as opposed to 112.6 this year. So that's like, again, like a nine point difference from their best seasons to this year. So that's probably part of the reason why it looks so, it just looks so bad as we've, again, we've seen Brad coach some hellacious defensive teams. So, all right, uh, quick, quick notes on the nets but we'll get into we'll get into like a much deeper uh nets preview in the in the next day or two here but quick thoughts on brooklyn i mean you know from from my perspective brooklyn's really really talented they have so much offensive firepower they're a genuine contender i don't see the celtics you know like putting like a real scare into them but i i, I think it's i think for me i'm just i'm really excited to watch tatum as the number one no questions asked guy I'm excited to like see what he does against, especially against a mediocre defense. I think that'll be really fun. And um, I'm really interested to see what the next few games look like. That's my, uh, my 30 second preview here. If you want to try and like make a case for the Celtics, not that they're going to win, but that it'll, it'll be more competitive than a sweep. Like the next three stars haven't played a lot together. So yeah, yeah. like, it'll be interesting to see how that balances out. They're speaking about their defense. They're going to need to play some sort of like, that's where they have the edge. Like if they have some resistance there, if they can contain someone, I don't know which one you're going to pick to like dial in on, but if they can actually like try on defense, maybe there's something there. The, the Celtics are going to need to bring it up a notch on defense. If they want to have any sort of hope here, it's going to be really hard. I don't know how you defend the three of those guys. Like, you're going to have Kemba on Kyrie, I'm sure, quite a bit, which is going to be a really tough matchup for him. I think they'll steal a game or two. That could come early in the series. Adding to what Nicole said, these guys, the guys referring to Harden, Durant, and Irving, haven't played a whole lot together this season. So maybe as they're falling back into rhythm here and kind of getting a feel for one another once again, that might be the Celtics' shot to steal a game. But it's going to be really hard if they get into shootouts with this team. Like, it's probably the most talented team in the NBA. I think it's the best team in the Eastern Conference. If they get sucked into shootouts against this Brooklyn roster, even if Tatum goes for 50, I don't know if they're going to win those games. I mean, we were talking about the fear of a shootout against Russell Westbrook in a 60% Bradley Beal. You want to talk about a real shootout? Like, yeah. Good luck with this crew. Like. Yeah, Joe Harris is better than Davis Bertans. <laughs> yeah, newsflash. They really are. They are like in every facet. They are just better than the Wizards, <laughs> which doesn't take much. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But it is hilarious how it perfectly lines up. Like, oh yeah, it, it's so tough that that Jalen is out for the Celtics because, like, if you kind of go down the list, it's like, okay, Marcus Smart defends James Harden really well, and James Harden is, I mean, unbelievable, and and he still gets his buckets against the Celtics. Smart. Tom, I don't know if you know, he's really good at this game. <laughs> that 
that was kind of funny. I did enjoy that quote. But and like Jalen has had moments where he's defended Durant really well. Like I don't remember you know if you remember that game against the Warriors a couple years ago where, where Jalen just like I mean he was he was on one that game especially defensively. It would have it just I don't I still don't think the Celtics would have won especially this year. But like it just it just would have been more competitive. Like that feels like very obvious analysis. Like yeah, if the Celtics had one of their two best players, like they'd be more competitive against a great team. But like matchup wise, it's I, I just Durant is going to present such a problem for the Celtics, which you know this. <laughs> what it is like uh this is this is what happens when uh when james harden goes to one of your direct eastern conference rivals and this is what happens when uh, uh you know when, when one of your best players gets injured it just makes the degree of difficulty so high and like we focus so far primarily on the stars and the starters like the Nets bench, we talked about this after that game where Kyrie went like four for 17 and the Nets still won pretty comfortably. I mean, I guess the Celtics made that little comeback, but like the Nets, when you think about the Nets bench, like, oh, Jeff Green, Landry Shamit, Blake Griffin, the Nets bench is going to outplay the Celtics bench by a mile. So it's really up to Tatum and that's just simply not enough. I guess Tatum and Kemba, he has been playing really well. I don't think we should keep like discarding him. Yeah, I think it is time to start saying like Ann Kemba. He's he's been yeah. that good. All right, guys, I have a uh, I have a three year old in a gecko PJ mask outfit who wants to go play. So I need to get going here. Enjoy these playoffs. Like this might be the, the beginning of Jason Tatum's like true like superstar run, you know, as like the no questions asked number one guy on a team. That'll be really fun to watch. So the uh, Celtics Nets tip off Saturday. <laughs> There's another PJ mask crashing around in the background <laughs> and we will, uh, we'll have another preview episode for you guys coming soon. But until then we will talk to you all uh, later this week. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns legends whose four way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, the Kings, a four part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.